0: Welcome to another edition of the Star Podcast presented by InsideTheStar.com. My name is Bryson Treese and we're almost a month into free agency and we want to talk about some latest updates that's going on with the Cowboys today. With me today, I've got InsideTheStar.com staff writers, Jess Haney and Sean Martin. Jess, how are you doing today? Good, man. Glad to be here. Good, good. Sean, how about you?
1: Yeah, doing great as well. It's finally warm here in New Jersey. We finally have news on Tony Romo. It's good to be here.
0: Yes, yes, we do, and that's the first thing we're going to get to today, and we're going to jump right to it. The Tony Romo saga has ended, and I personally welcome it. But he wasn't even retired for a full day, and the could he make a comeback talk has already started. The Denver Post is reporting that Romo told media during a conference call that he's about 99% certain to stay retired. Meanwhile, Mike Freeman over on Bleacher Report wrote on Tuesday that an unnamed AFC general manager said, I'd say there's a 100% chance he makes a return somewhere in the NFL next season. Freeman himself goes on to reiterate this sentiment by saying the draw of football can be so powerful it can overcome reason, after he tells us about a story of how Troy Aikman almost came out of retirement in 2002 during a broadcast when Andy Reid called him from the Eagles. And Brett Favre's on-and-off-again relationship with retirement as well. It all lends merit to the idea that Romo isn't done playing yet. And yet Tony Romo wants everybody to believe that he's done. The Cowboys bought it. They officially released him on Tuesday after his retirement announcement. But do you believe it, Jess? As
2: of right now, yes, I do. But as of right now is the key to that. Um, The status quo can change. A single injury can change change things for what's out there for Tony Romo um, who knows I mean we think now you know the Broncos and the Texans but what if the Steelers were to have an injury? what I mean there's there's just no telling what could happen that could open a, a door either with the teams we've already identified or some different team.
0: And, you know, that's really what he was getting at there. Talking about Troy Aikman, it was a game in which Donovan McNabb had been injured. And Andy Reid was calling to, you know, try to entice Aikman to come back out of retirement and play at least a couple of games to fill in for him. But that's also what this, you know, unnamed source, uh, the AFC general manager, and I don't like anonymous sources. Uh, When it comes to the Cowboys, an anonymous source basically just means I just pulled something out of my ass and I'm serving it up for you for entertainment. But we're going to go ahead and, you know, go with that and we'll just, you know, see what happens. Sean, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's a really intriguing storyline to talk about trying to pull Tony Romo out of the CBS booth and and get him onto the field for a team that's not the Cowboys because, you know, in his retirement even though that's a word he's not really using and everyone wants to get him to use you know what they call an abandoned skin show today the r word basically he is going to go take his job seriously at cbs he is going to have a lot of responsibility there doing all these big time games that a lot of people are going to be watching but at the same time fans watching along with him are going to see their team potentially if they're not a cowboys fan struggle after a quarterback goes down, and they're gonna say, "Hey, you're still young enough to come help us. Why can't you step out onto the field and come do this for us?" And especially these last couple of hours, with you know this still being a new story, it's really nothing but positives that I'm seeing about you know Tony Romo's career. There's no nobody really saying you know the typical Romo jokes and all the things like that. It's really a lot of people acknowledging that he's a borderline Hall of Fame type of quarterback, despite not having that level of team success around him, and so. That'd be a welcome sight on a lot of other teams, but right now it's a welcome sight for CBS. Romo's very happy at CBS, and that's where he is for now.
0: Yeah, that's where he is for now. And, you know, I mean, I hate to to throw in that for now qualifier because it really makes it a non-answer, but that's where we are for now. Johnny Romo finishes with a 97.1 quarterback rating, which is good enough for fourth all-time and third among QBs who have more than 3,000 attempts. With his career supposedly done and his cleats hung up, How would you grade Tony Romo's career? Bad? Pretty good? Good? Very good or great? Sean?
1: To me he's great. I think he's the best quarterback to ever play for this team. And um obviously in that generation where it's nothing but Tony Romo at quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys when it comes to watching this team and you know, there's a there's a lot of fans just like me that are hopefully listening to this and also enjoying, you know, being able to look back at what we got from Romo and with the peace of mind in hand that we also have Dak Prescott waiting in the wings. But when it comes to Romo, he's been this team and he has been the reason this team has been at all relevant for a while. And it's really hard to imagine. I know we talk about this a lot, but I don't think anyone really goes to enough extent in talking about what the actual reality of this would be. A lot of people always say, Tony Romo, if he wasn't on the Cowboys, these rosters would basically... Turn the team into the, like the Browns or you know any team that just hasn't been good at all these past, however long you want to go for some of these franchises at the top of the draft every single year. What would the impact be for you know a Jerry Jones team to be that bad? Well, we never got to that point. Why? Because of a great quarterback, not good, not average, but a great, legendary quarterback that you know that I owe a lot of uh, respect to in Tony Romer. And,
0: you know, it's good to to look at it as in terms of him as a Dallas Cowboy and where this team was before him and with him and what he meant to this team. But, Jess, what do you think is – gauge his career for me as a quarterback in the NFL, not a Dallas Cowboys quarterback necessarily, but in the overall picture.
2: I'm still struggling with the image of Troy Aikman in a Eagles uniform. Um,
0: <laughs> right.
2: Why did you put that evil on me? But uh, anyway, the um, Romo in the gr- grand scheme of the NFL, I think at that point the lack of Super Bowl stuff really hurts you because I think that the NFL gauge for quarterbacks is very heavily tied to championships. Um, I think that from a Cowboys perspective, Romo is number three under Troy Aikman and Roger Staubach. Which elevates him because you're talking about third on a list. But then if you get into the NFL perspective, I mean, you're talking about Romo with, I mean, so many other guys that it starts to push him further, further down the list. So to me, Romo is like Jim Kelly, maybe. I would put him sort of in that vein of um, guys who never won a, a Super Bowl but were. Certainly, talented enough to do it. Some would argue that the fact Romo never even got to one should put him below a guy like Jim Kelly or Dan Marino or some of those guys. I don't. I don't feel that way. I think Romo was as good as any of them.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Uh, people like to they like to pin the Super Bowls on the quarterback, and really, what I notice more often than not, especially with the the more polarizing figures in the league is that people tend to pin losses on quarterbacks and they pin wins on wide receivers, running backs, offensive lines, linebackers, defensive ends. And I think it's an unfair assessment when you look at it. So that's why I started that question off with one stat that's kind of hard to argue. I mean, I know that the the quarterback rating has, you can argue for and against it all you want to. It has its flaws, but when it comes down to it, it's probably the only stat that truly tries to take a look at what the quarterback has contributed to his team it doesn't factor in what other areas of the team may have failed or may have succeeded it just looks at the quarterback so I I do kind of like that a little bit I'll take that fourth all time and I think that's where I'll put that and I'll call it a very good career I think greatness needed a fourth quarter comeback in the postseason in the Super Bowl something like that just to really cement that for us but Aaron Wilson of the Houston Chronicle reports, and I I just think this is a little bit interesting. Obviously Houston was at the top of the list of teams I looked at, Romo said during a conference call with the media on Tuesday. It really had nothing to do with the Texans. It had everything to do with CBS. I didn't come to this conclusion lightly. Romo added that, speaking about the decision to retire, saying that the Texans didn't do anything right or wrong. It was that CBS made the offer too tempting for him to stick around and try a go in free agency at joining another team. Do you feel like we as Cowboys fans dodged the proverbial bullet when it comes to Romo being out of contention for the Texans starting QB? Sean. Sean.
1: I don't think so. I don't think that I would have minded, you know, seeing Romo with the Texans. I think that really would have been an interesting dynamic with an AFC opponent that not only could have contended in the AFC, and then, of course, you're talking about a potential, you know, Cowboys-Texans would meet in the Super Bowl if, it, if you know, stars align basically. And, and that improbable but still somewhat probable scenario happens with the Cowboys on the verge here and the Texans with Romo needing to be considered contenders right up there with the Patriots and maybe the Raiders and and some of these other top teams in the AFC. So yeah, it did line up nicely for the Cowboys fans that were kind of dead set on he needs to retire a Cowboy, I'm not going to be able to deal with him not being a Cowboy here. But this whole offseason, up until this thing dragged on, up until yesterday, it's a matter of if he is going to move on from the Cowboys, is there another team that makes sense? And are there teams that don't make sense that we just don't want to see him. Do we not want to see Troy Aikman in an Eagles uniform? And I think that the Texans made sense. So if it came down to CBS in Houston, which Romo is saying it is, I'm very happy he's at CBS, but I have to think I'd be happy if it worked out for him in Houston.
2: Uh, I I agree with Sean pretty much. Um, You know, There are only two times we might have seen Romo this year. One was a potential Cowboys-Texans Super Bowl, as he said. The other would have been week four of the preseason. Uh, that we tend to see a Cowboys-Texans game for that Governor's Cup. But, again, that's week four of the preseason, and Romo probably wouldn't have even played. Neither would have Dak. Uh, if, if so, they would have played a series each, maybe. Um, I did look, and, and if, let's say, Romo did come to Houston, have a good year, and came back next year, the Cowboys and the Texans are expected to play in the next regular season. So, that would have been a little interesting, but... Ultimately, I don't care. Houston's in the AFC, and um, we wouldn't have had to deal with it. It would have been as good an outcome as any could have been.
0: But to me, it comes down to another argument, and this goes back to the Raiders and their move to Las Vegas that's coming up in a few years. And what actually may happen in 2020 is what I'm understanding because apparently Oakland doesn't want the Raiders there for the final three years before the Las Vegas stadium opens and it could put them in San Antonio now there was some speculation going around that Jerry Jones lobbied heavily for the Raiders to go to Las Vegas because he knew that San Antonio was the next likely option that puts a third team in the state of Texas and it divides loyalties it divides revenues from these teams so I'm looking at it more from that standpoint of whether or not Romo going to the Texans, whether they're AFC or not, whether we play them multiple times a year or not, does it split the state? That's that's what I'm looking at. Do you think there's any kind of loss on that?
2: I've got you. No, I don't. Uh, honestly, Cowboys fans, I, I think there are some who've said, I I've, certainly if you follow the Cowboys on social media, you've seen people saying stuff about, um, I quit being a Cowboys fan today whether it was back when Romo lost his job to Dak or when it looked like he was going to get released, all these other things. But for the most part, that's just talk. Um, Cowboys fans have been through a lot worse over the last couple decades than anything that's happened with Tony Romo, and they've stayed loyal. So I, I wouldn't have worried too much about that.
0: All right. Well, moving on from the Tony Romo issue, and that's been a long time coming, I think, so let's move on from and put it behind us. Gavin Escobar joined the Kansas City Chiefs. And I don't want to go into any great detail on this. We've talked about Escobar a lot. But he's gone. And with him is another tight end and another second-round draft pick from the Cowboys. Now, given the glaring need to go defense in this year's draft, the team's self-proclaimed propensity to take risk in the second round, 2015 seventh-round pick Jeff Swain, 2016 sixth-round pick Rico Gathers, considering all of that, do you think Dallas is confident moving forward with their current depth at tight end, Jess?
2: Yes, I do. Uh, and the key guy to that is the one you didn't mention, which is James Hanna, who they re-signed last year uh, to almost $3 million a year to come back as a backup. That's a lot of money for a backup tight end. So they clearly like James Hanna. And if he can stay healthy, I think they believe in him strongly as tight end number two. Jeff Swain looked good as tight end number two playing in Hannah's absence last year. So that would make him an exceptional tight end number three. And then if Rico Gathers did improve at all in pra- in his year on the practice squad, as was reported that he did, that should make him a perfectly acceptable number four.
0: And Sean?
1: I don't think they owe it because you know, I look at this team – on offense, having to move forward with Dak Prescott as their quarterback. And I look at, you know, the fact that they're they're going to stay strong on that side of the ball because of the offensive line and the running game with Ezekiel Elliott. And we understand all that. And we know these guys on the outside and Bryant Williams, all that. You know, tight end becomes that missing long-term spot where you can really turn Dak Prescott into something even better than he already was. And obviously, you know, that's a perk up Cowboys fans' ears a little bit because Prescott was amazing as his fourth-round rookie. With the guys he had, not only can we get him more guys at positions that you know are already pretty strong, wide receiver and running back, like I mentioned, but go get a guy at tight end that fits this new style offense, carves up the middle of the field, which is an area that you know we weren't able to throw the ball as much, even with Jason Witten, so. Do so I think they're okay with this, Def? Sure, because again, the strength of this team is running and just really outlined how these tight ends help the run game if you get Hannah on the field and if you get Jeff Swain on the field who can also be a receiver and he's a versatile guy that can hopefully show more and more development. But as far as being completely happy with their options of tight end, I think they need a long-term guy for Dak Prescott and I think that should be a pretty high priority looking ahead to this draft and some other options that they can go about to get that guy.
2: But let me, let me ask you, I mean, if you... Take that guy. I mean, what's he re- How much time is he really going to get? That's always been the issue with these guys we've taken from Marty B to Escobar. And because Jason Witten signed his extension, he's still here. So is it really worth it to get that guy now?
1: Yeah, I'm looking at you can get tight ends in this draft that can go out in the slot and play detached. And if you want to go four wide receivers, if you know, obviously, because Cole Beasley has the slot position on a pretty good lockdown in this offense as far as he's even an option ahead of Terrence Williams which is why some fans wanted us to move on from Williams but you have Beasley Williams Witten Bryant those are your guys you're right Jess and so that's why you might not have to look right now to replace any of them but Witten can retire at any point and he'll go into the Hall of Fame when he does and for now it is a concern in terms of can you get that guy now though to stash behind him I think this is the sweet spot though in terms of now you definitely start looking you don't have to pin yourself to saying this is the draft and we need to come away with our next you know Pro Bowl Hall of Fame tight end and a, even a more dynamic player than Witten but within these next two years you know something like that you got to start thinking about getting a guy to play with Witten and then be the guy when Witten moves on
0: well and it's not just about when Witten moves on I mean look at what happened last year with the tight end position who was our number two tight end on the depth chart at the end of the season Jeff Swain he was number two at the end.
2: Oh, well, I was thinking he was hurt, so it was Escobar at the end of the year.
0: Well, he, no, he would have been. That's right, that's right. Not at the end of the season, but throughout the bulk of the season, he got more carries than, or he got more attempts than, than Escobar did, and Hannah was injured. Escobar didn't really do a whole lot. The, the point is, we've got injuries that are hitting that tight end spot, and they deplete the depth. So, it's not just about waiting for Jason Witten to retire, which, on a four-year deal, who knows if that'll actually happen. I think i'm thinking now he'll definitely play the next this year and 2018 but we'll see how that goes uh one thing that could help him since he's a aging veteran and this is going to be an issue that uh is a little bit controversial for some so if you'd rather not hear us talk about marijuana thanks for listening and be sure to check back later for new episodes but we're going to get off into something a little bit political now i think it's high time we talk about it honestly and that is pun intended The issue of weed in the NFL goes back further than really matters right now. But suffice it to say that it offers a form of relaxation that players find appealing. There's a lot of bumps and bruises that players take, even in a practice. They're constantly getting hit, getting struck, and having pains. And marijuana does help with that. And... I just, I can't see how we're getting so caught up on it. But then again, the entire country's been wrapped in this issue for years now. Randy Gregory's been suspended for more than a year in total for getting high. He's been missed on this Cowboys defense, so much so that the little we did see him in 2016, he was a tad out of shape and still brought some pressure, more so than the guys around him. Do you personally believe that it's time for the NFL to halt its persecution of marijuana use among its players?
1: the the time is absolutely now. You're absolutely right. And because, you know, we have this story about the painkillers that are being abused on NFL sidelines. We have stories about horrible medical situations going on all over the league with current players, former players, college players, even, you know, coming into the league with concerns that... They don't want to have to add to when they get into the league and into these programs that are being found out as corrupt because they can't use marijuana. And it's never going to be a team decision to, you know, tell their players to use it. But if the players want to go about this and the players are ultimately your product and the players are who you need to keep happy, and if Randy Gregory is happy and safe and healthy and unable to contribute, and keep Cowboys fans happy because he's on the field, all because he's doing this, then yes, it's absolutely time, long overdue to be honest, for the NFL to start looking at this, seriously looking at this, and showing some revisions to policy immediately.
0: right, now Jess, for you... You wrote this past weekend that Jerry Jones spoke at the NFL's owners meeting about the NFL ending its testing for and bans of marijuana use. In that article, you stated, and I'm going to paraphrase just a little bit, with over a quarter of its teams in states where marijuana is illegal, the NFL is in a delicate position. Not testing for marijuana could be viewed as a circumvention of state laws and bring them into conflict with certain groups and government bodies. I don't think that's a fair statement, personally. I mean, the NFL is not and has never been an organization of law and order. It's a sports league, an entertainment industry. Isn't it the duty of courts and law enforcement to prevent illicit drug use? So why put the onus on the NFL? That's what I want to know, Jess.
2: The NFL put the onus on itself when it started doing things like suspending Greg Hardy for domestic violence even after a court you know, dropped the charges. That The NFL, I'm only speaking for the role that the NFL, that Roger Goodell seems to want to play in society and that their actions up to this point have indicated. So so that's really what I was speaking to, um, that the NFL has already superseded what you just said and what I personally I would agree with you should be its role um, in terms of what, how it handles players and their personal conduct issues.
0: Sean, what would you uh, think of their role that they're choosing to be in?
1: It's a tough situation, but I think that the role that they're in—you have to remember that again—you're saying that they are an entertainment league, and I question, you know, how much they remember that about themselves. Because Jess is right with his quote in a certain aspect in terms of they do want to enforce certain things, and in order to get out in front of these issues, that could come back and hurt them. That's really what this is all about. Things that you know could become issues for them, getting out ahead of them, so that they don't become the big issues that we've seen. Obviously, it goes without saying that the NFL has had problems that have you know that they could have prevented probably beforehand. Every problem you hope it, like a one organization like this, every problem you hope you can get out in front of. Some of them you're not going to be able to. When it comes to marijuana, it's a problem that this country is, as a, as a whole is dealing with for so long. So that's going to be difficult for them, and it's not those place to do it as well. So I can really see you know, both sides of trying to get to where the NFL can have a happy medium between its players and the fans. And I think that comes with being more lenient with this though, obviously, because it's the players that are your product and you need to give them what they want.
2: And if I if I can expound real quick on what I said, um, something I've felt for a long time is that there is a Wheaties box mentality that's what I've called it for years the Wheaties box mentality about athletes and that they they should be these role models well, and, I don't know
0: and about m- that yeah but, I don't either
2: well that, that's how I feel and I think that it has changed to a point um, you think about like Charles Barkley's big I'm not a role model proclamation and I think there are certain times that the more of the anti- establishment hero has emerged more in sports than they would have used to, like an Allen Iverson or a Michael Vick. But ultimately, I I feel like there is still that mentality among NFL owners, uh, the league, its business partners, and that is where they might start to have some concerns about still the perception of their players.
0: Well, and when I say that I don't agree with that, I agree totally with what you're saying. I don't agree that these players should be role models for children. I mean, they're good at playing ball. They go up and make a lot of money and try to do the fewest stupid things possible when they have so much freedom and so little oversight. And somehow we want to hold them up to a higher standard than we would hold a dad raising three kids on his own working full time and still getting them to school and into bed every night.
2: Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's how it should be. I'm saying that's how I believe right. the NFL believes it should be.
0: Right, right, and I don't like that perception. I understand that they're, that they're coming at it from a marketing perspective and that they want every kid to want whatever player's latest product, whether it's a jersey or a T-shirt or a hat or a wristband, you know, now that we're in the 2000s. I mean, I understand where they're coming from with that, but I wholeheartedly disagree with the – with just the fundamentals of that view it shouldn't be that way because often these players are not role models
1: what it comes down to is that there, there has to be certain elements of what makes them a role model and the NFL wants to say oh as you were just getting to boys, they're a role model because look what they do on the field and look what you can buy to you know look like you're on the field oh here's their jersey and you're gonna wear your role model's jersey and hat and all that great But you're saying, you know, a father with three kids should be looked at as a role model. Tony Romo's a father, and it's okay to say, you know, Tony Romo's been a role model because he has been such a good player on and off the field and all that. And so those are the things that the league isn't talking about, though. Those conversations aren't happening when it comes to really breaking down and dissecting, like we're kind of doing here, the elements of what makes these players even be considered for role models, you know, in the first place. And it's because of right now what they do on the field but you have to consider what they do off the field and then you have to remember the fact that kids or adults fall in the NFL we don't know a good amount of what these guys do off the field and we find out things sometimes half the things that you find out that you quote unquote shouldn't find out about it's because they're doing you know drugs or something like that and a lot of the time that drug is you know another thing we're talking about here marijuana usage in the NFL and then all of a sudden boom, that gets frowned upon because, first of all, we shouldn't have known about it anyway, and then second of all, they were a role model and they were doing something they shouldn't have, but they'll get a counterback saying that they should have been doing it and it becomes a problem for the NFL in that aspect as well.
0: You know, and when you look at it, the NFL, they do try. I'll give them this; they put some effort into trying to recognize things about players off the field. You know, such as the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. That has nothing to do with how they play. That has everything to do with different charities and causes that they not only sometimes create. You know, such as the case, you know, like a you know Jason Witten Foundation or something like that. It comes down to. Spending time with people who, you know, may be less fortunate, whether that be at a homeless shelter or it be at a a hospital in a cancer ward or something like that. They do try to focus on a lot of that, but to me, it comes down to a bigger issue. And the NFL has been the subject of many debates about social policy in recent years. I mean, from Ray Rice and... Uh, you know, a couple of Cowboys players I don't want to bring up right now, to Josh Gordon. It, it's largely believed that the league has been unable to keep up with the ever-changing tide of social issues. Why do you think that is? I mean, is it all about Roger Goodell, Jess? I
2: think so, to a point, because personally, I think, you know, Roger Goodell's an idiot. I've probably said that here, on here before. But, also, the problem is that you're dealing with a national company, the NFL, organization, and you've got teams spread out over multiple states where there are very different feelings about certain issues. Now, with domestic violence, there's no real deviation from that from one state to another. But let's get back to marijuana. Let's just throw out a scenario here. Um, On the same day, Ronald Leary is smoking pot in Colorado. As Zach Martin gets arrested for pot in texas so how should the nfl like view that because one guy is doing what's perfectly legal in the state that he lives and works in and the other guy isn't so should that somehow now become a basis for a suspension that well it depends on what state you're in you know how do you do that
0: It depends on more than that, because the NFL is not only taking it upon themselves to base that on any kind of law. I mean, that may be somewhere in the foundation of that mentality. But what they're doing is they're somehow classifying it without actually classifying it. They're classifying marijuana as a performance enhancing drug of some sort. That's how they that's the only way that they could justify it because they aren't about law and order. And when we talk about domestic violence stuff and, and, you know, issues like that, the reason that the NFL is able to act on that is because in the collective bargaining agreement, there are morality clauses and moral turpitude. And you can go after certain acts like that that are just considered widely egregious and against the law in most cases. I mean, when it comes to domestic violence, it's always against the law. And marijuana, it's sometimes against the law. And it's barely only sometime. You know, as we said it before, it's only just a little bit more than a quarter of the league's teams that are in states that have not come out with a favorable decision on marijuana.
2: And right now, I mean, really the way the CBA is set up, anything that is viewed as conduct detrimental to the league, that's a vague term. So whatever Roger Goodell wants to decide somehow tarnishes the image of the NFL, he can persecute at that point. So it's Mm -hmm. really anything that that where a player might step somewhere out of the social norms
1: and of course cowboys fans like us are going to fire back that what the nfl did is tarnishing the 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 product because how many times when randy gregory suspensions have been announced have we been pissed off at the fact that they don't even tell us what it's for violation of substance abuse policies and hiding behind things like that we don't know the facts when it comes to or at least artifacts, when it comes to Randy Gregory. And that's a detriment to what we do as writers, to what we try to do as fans, to what the team is really doing, to what is actually going on you know, in the Cowboys headquarters when it comes to building this roster these past couple of years and not knowing what the hell was happening with Randy Gregory.
2: Some of, exactly. that can, some of that can be an issue of medical privacy, though, too.
0: No, no, no. It's not necessarily an issue of medical privacy when you're calling it marijuana because my medical records aren't private if I show up to work one day and they hand me a cup and I fail or pass. My medical records aren't private in that case because it's not a medical record. It's not... It, there, there isn't a doctor-patient relationship established with that in most cases. And I, I don't know about you guys up in other parts of the country, but here in Texas, in the Dallas area, we use places like Concentra and Care. Now, It's very rare that an employer actually handles the drug tests themselves. They outsource it to one of these companies, which, again, if you read over their terms when you walk into their office and sign all their paperwork, it says there is no doctor-patient confidentiality established by doing this. You know, so to me, it comes down to transparency, and I completely agree with Sean on that. That when they came out with the Randy Randy Gregory deal last uh, preseason or offseason, you know, saying that he was going to be suspended again, it was just a violation of substance abuse policies. We don't know if it was a failed drug test. We don't know if he skipped out later on um, on rehab. We don't know. Any of those, just those basic details, what the actual infraction was, somebody catch him with weed, did he fail a piss test, what is it? And I think transparency is one of those issues that is becoming more recognized in the country now with all the political stuff going on. People want to know what's going on. You've got major corporations that are involved everywhere, places like Uber who are up and coming who publish uh, quarterly financial reports for the public on their blog so that you can see everything that they're doing because transparency builds trust. And I think right now the NFL is lacking a lot of trust.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. Um, I think, unfortunately, the league is now caught in between multiple um, issues, some of which directly conflict with each other. The rising uh, medical acceptance of marijuana versus the... Um, concerns about concussions. If the NFL keeps, I mean, it's almost like it can't win for losing in that situation. You think that would be a win-win? We can promote, we can we can lighten our stance on marijuana and actually say, hey, look, we're taking concussions more seriously because we think this might help. But it, it's like it's like the that Goodell and the league cannot get out of its own way on some of this stuff.
0: Yeah, that does seem to be the case. And with the current collective bargaining agreement in place through the 2020 season, making adjustments to the league's policies on marijuana is pretty limited. They can't do a whole lot. But there are mechanisms in place for amendments to the CBA prior to its uh, expiration. But I think the general feeling among fans is that the NFL, and specifically that Roger Goodell, is more than willing to stand by and let the NFLPA's agreement with the league take the heat.
1: Roger Goodell absolutely does not need to have his league, to have the NFL go be out in front of trying to lead a social change in this country or anything like that when it comes to marijuana. Would it be great to see, based on all the points I made tonight, I think it's pretty clear to say, yeah, I'd love to see that. I've even written some papers you know, here at university and, and different things and Twitter and all that, talking about how good that would be. But he has no reason to do it we can't hold our breaths expecting it to happen. And you also, and this is even more frustrating by a lot, you can't blame him for not wanting that to be what happens. Because at the end of the day, the NFL's revenue is not going to take a hit. At the end of the day, we can yell and scream all we want about Randy Gregory, but we're still going to watch the Cowboys. And that's going to give the, you know revenue to the league. And every other fan is going to watch their team. And that's what's so amazing is because no one's giving up on their teams. And and thus hurting the NFL, and I highly doubt that marijuana is the issue that's going to cause people to stop watching their team because it's already such a controversial thing in this country. You already have so many people that are against it being even used anywhere almost, so it's not going to be something that Roger Goodell really needs to address, address for the time being.
0: But it comes down to me to the fact that the NFL, and I say it's a fact. To me, it's a fact. It comes down to the perception that the NFL simply doesn't have any values. And I'm talking moral values, family values, things like that. Because if you go back to the Ray Rice incident, how was that handled? How long did it take from when that actually happened until the public got outraged that nothing happened from the NFL before the NFL said, oh, okay, I guess we do need to do something on this. Because of the video because of the video it outraged people same thing with randy uh, i'm sorry not randy gregory greg hardy when the, the his ex-girlfriend went on the newspaper or tmz or whatever it was and had pictures of her bruises and you know talking about a couch full of automatic weapons and all that you know it, it comes down to values quite simply because they aren't acting based out of any sort of personal Agenda, and I, you know, I guess some people like that. They don't, they don't want politics mixed right. in with the NFL. But the NFL, you think about all the employees that are in there, all the players on the teams, the coaches on the teams, the trainers. When you get down into even the business side of it with merchandising and all the uh, the the concierges, people at stadiums, and you know, ticket sellers, all of it, they employ a large number of people, and it's large enough, in my opinion to put them near the same scale as a company like Walmart. And Walmart was at the forefront and dead center on that bullseye for a while when it came to the um, the minimum wage issue. And it's because of how many people they employ in this country. The NFL should be facing the same thing. And to me, they should be standing up and saying, this is wrong. Not because you guys yelled and told us to and threatened to boycott and stop buying our stuff but because it is wrong. You don't hit a woman. You don't inject yourself with heroin.
2: No, you're right. Uh, the The problem with the NFL and any sports league is, for one, you've got the ownership structure, which is unique compared to a Walmart. Um, and then you, you basically have a guy, in the case of the NFL right now, the person who is supposed to be the driving force behind policy is a puppet. He he is a um, homegrown decoy for the owners. So to think that that anything is going to really happen when there is no true single person that's serving because the commissioner is supposed to be the checks and balance for the owners. But he's not. He's He is a, a servant and puppet of the owners. So, essentially, you've got 32 commissioners in the NFL right now.
0: See, I would disagree with that because while you're saying that Goodell is basically a frontman for the 32 owners in the league, I'm saying that Roger Goodell isn't even that. I think that he's a little bit spineless. And sorry, Roger, if you're listening, dude, grow a pair do something without somebody making you do it first. and when you have do
1: to, it, though? That's the thing.
0: He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to do half the things that he does. A lot of it are his own personal changes, his legacy, if you will, that he's building. Ugh. Oh, that's... yeah, it scares the crap out of you, doesn't it?
2: Well, I, and I think Sean made a great point earlier that um, there really isn't any impetus for change based on the fact that the NFL product will continue... To press on and make money and do wonderfully and mm-hmm. it, that that's really what it comes down to. I I said this earlier in the year when when people kept complaining and complaining about Thursday night football. Quit watching it. You want it to go away? Quit watching it. That is the only power that anyone has to affect change against pro sports. Quit watching it.
0: I think it can come from a few other places too, but it really It either comes down to that, you know, boycott, take away their revenue stream for whatever it is, which admittedly is never going to happen for the NFL. I think we're 50 years away from that being a possibility. But another way to do it could be something small like Robert Kraft challenging Roger Goodell or Jerry Jones and a possible scenario he hung out for us at the end of the season where he may pursue legal action on the Randy Gregory issue. Things like that could actually affect real change, and it can do it at. We're going to talk about this like it's politics. It's going to do it at a policy level instead of some superficial, flimsy, you know, whim way.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you totally. I, I, and you're right. There are certain owners. You, you mentioned two of them uh, the Giants owner, um, name escaping me, Mora. Uh, they you know the the, the Rooneys. There's a, there's several others, but I mean, you, there's a core group who could make things happen if they really wanted to, and um, that political capital that those guys have, uh, especially with um, Jerry, Robert Kraft, a few of those. Like we've seen Jerry using his capital in a big way here, like we talked about earlier with the Raiders. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jerry is essentially running the Raiders right now
0: more than out. Not only that, he's running the, the uh, Rams as well. Yeah. Yeah, Remember Jerry has a big stake in the legends company, which handles a lot of the revenue stuff for those two teams. And I mean, he has a big say in how they spend their money and where they get it from.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, these guys do have the power to do some things and I, and I've always been a bit surprised that Jerry doesn't throw his weight around more on certain issues. Um, I feel like Jerry has had a trump card for a while now because he never sued the league for collusion back in that whole uncapped year, Miles Austin contract fiasco Mm -hmm. that we had. I think it was 2010. And, you know, he could have totally sued the pants off the NFL and won. But instead, he took the penalty that they assessed and dealt with it. Um, But so jerry seems to know when to play his cards he's he's as smart as they come in that area
0: well and it also could be factored into that when the cba does come up for renewal which will require renegotiations and adjusting everything in three years that he has that little card in his back pocket and you know he's going to be a big part of the negotiations for it just like he was in 2010 So he can go into it there, and the reason I say that is because when he brought it up about marijuana in the owners' meetings this year, Roger Goodell immediately pointed out to him that that particular clause that they act on against marijuana use is in the collective bargaining agreement. It's not an NFL policy per se. It's in the collective bargaining agreement and has to be changed at that level. So he may be just stockpiling, whatever it is, building all of this clout so that he can make a stronger push for it at a time when it may be a little bit more impactful than say it might be right now. But all of that remains to be seen. We've still got you know several years to go for that, and we've still got to deal with Randy Gregory's suspension. And the Cowboys are still going to have to get out there on the field, and they're going to have to play. And I think that the draft is going to be a big part of that. So we are going to get into the draft on the next episode of the Star Podcast. But for now, I want to thank everybody for listening, and I definitely want to thank Jess Haney for – Participating, And remember, you can follow Jess on Twitter at Cowboys Addicts. That's on Twitter. You can also catch him on InsideTheStar.com pretty much daily, talking a lot about team management and some other social issues that are going on, like the marijuana issue this past weekend. And Sean Martin, again, you can find him on InsideTheStar.com pretty much daily. Uh, he definitely takes on more of a social media presence, so you'll find him on Twitter at ShoreSportsNJ, like New Jersey. ShoreSportsNJ. Again, thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you next time here on the Star Podcast. For now, have a good one, and go Cowboys. podcast is brought to you by InsideTheStar.com and Slant Sports Digital.